Welcome to Weekly Neurosis. Something happened on the day he died. Spirit rose and meet up and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried. I'm a black soul. I'm a black soul. How many times does an angel fall? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Welcome into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And we this is the David Bowie episode. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk all things David Bowie. Not really, but we're going to cover an album and movie that are both his. Yes. Um, so an overview of this episode real quick. Uh, the movie is The Man Who Fell to, Who Fell to Earth, mm-hmm. which is his first film. The first movie he ever started in, correct? Right. And the album is his most recent and final album, Black Star. Indeed. As well. And the beer of the week is Big Slick Stout. Stout, yep. From Ale Asylum, based in Madison. Madison, Wisconsin. Where I was based from. Yes, and uh, the only real connection we have uh, with David Bowie is if you look up Big Slick Stout, uh, the guy on the label kind of looks like David Bowie's character in the movie The Man You Fell to Earth. He's got like a top hat on, and he looks kind of suave. And I guess Dave, David Bowie was kind of a slick, suave dude. In his well, you, you, I, I recall him having a hat too, and a lot like sure, kind of a cowboyish looking hat. But yeah, in the in the film, he, he kind of has that look. Mm-hmm. This guy looks like he's kind of from the nineteen seventies, which our film. Yeah, he's got a robot hand too, or a skeleton hand, so that doesn't make sense. No. But whatever. But it kind of looks like him. Yeah, a little bit. There's a connection there. Okay. We'll post it. Let's go with it. Let's roll. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, again, the um, the theme of this episode is David Bowie or Bowie. Um, so, David Bowie, who is known as, um, that's his stage name. His real name is uh, David Robert Jones. Which, fun fact, I believe he changed it to David Bowie because he didn't want to get confused with the lead guy from the Monkees, Davy oh. Jones. Oh. Yeah, that's what I hear anyway. A little bit of history. But he was an English singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, painter, and actor. And um, he was, in, per me, uh, an amazing and intriguing character in person. Um, and, of course, sadly, he passed away on January 10th, 2016, just days after his most recent release, which we'll read tonight. Black Star was released. But who is, who is David Bowie to you? David Bowie is a, you know, well, he was a legendary artist and and songwriter and actor who he was an innovator in terms of his musical style and different pop and jazz and ambient experimental recordings uh he was just a super multi-talented guy who meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people because he had been around for so long and i really really got into him when i was like 18 or 19 so really not that long ago but i went head first into into his discography especially but you know i grew up watching labyrinth and of course there was a couple of his songs that everybody knows Uh, so he had always kind of been there but uh yeah he definitely became one of my favorite uh, musicians in the last couple of years um so i mean losing him was 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 a wallop because this guy was incredible he was and he just struck me as a person who could do anything like musically or artistically uh, but I grew up listening to his music. I'd say his his song "Young Americans" is pr- 
probably one of my like top five songs. I don't know what it is about that song, but I list, I could listen to it on repeat. Well, I think I had mentioned in a previous episode that his song Life on Mars is my all-time all favorite time? song. Yeah, you did. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, but the, the world was um, just rocked by his passing. And what I thought was kind of cool is that a lot of like artists that we consider to be kind of out there um, or like maybe they're a little bit more u- unique. I hate to reference, but Lady Gaga and like Marilyn Manson was another example that people like that that came out and said he kind of paved the way because he was yeah. for if he was if he was doing that nowadays it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal but back then but nobody would be doing it if yeah, it wasn't for him for him and back then it was like majorly yeah. different from the the regular kind of rut of what was going on yeah and one thing I also find really interesting about him is how especially in the last ten or so years of his life he was so secretive mm-hmm. and so mysterious and he didn't put his personal stuff out there uh he didn't like to say what was going on and even to how he died he had cancer for over a year like a year and a half he had it and nobody knew about it until they announced that he had he had passed away and uh there's something kind of respectable about that because there's so much put today on tabloids and you know scandalous photos that get leaked and taken of celebrities and he was a guy who there was none of that with him he was all very himself so as many personas as he had over the decades, it's you can't really look at David Bowie and say this is who he was because he was so many things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just in his description alone, I mean, singer, songwriter, painter, actor. And I mean, I, we just obviously watched him act. I thought he was very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so it's it's just incredible all the things that he did. And, you know, in learning a little bit more about the album, and we'll get into that uh, when we get to album of the week, but yeah, just how secretive he was. And a lot of people didn't even know he was recording and just, yeah, he was very, very secretive. And I read in the New York times, um, a writer say something to the effect of he had this luxury that he created for himself, which was, he didn't have to do any self promotion. No, like today an artist released an album. They have to do like a tour. They have to do this big press circuit. He just would put something out there and be like, here you go. His name alone was all you needed to see. Yep, and that's a very, 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 very hard place and, to get to. And we'll talk about it more when we get to the album review, but what's so interesting about this album in particular isn't just that, I hope this doesn't spoil anything, not that it's a good album, but it's not good because he died. Do you understand what I mean? That's, yeah. This album was well-received <laughs> in the days before he passed away, and I think that'll be an interesting thing to talk about later. It's very important. I, I definitely had to separate myself from that and kind of listen to the music, take it for its merit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, which can be difficult. But um, on to our uh, high-priority news items. Um, we, we'll get into it more later, but just to announce the Academy, the, uh, who, who is it? Who is the Academy? It's like... The Academy is made up of most mostly people who had won in the past, but you can be, in, you can be invited by other Academy members. So it's basically a big in-group of... Uh, filmmakers, directors, actors, anybody who has won in the past or has been invited. So nobody, I don't really think there's a, a, a concrete list of who these people are, but they're basically the biggest group of filmmakers and people in movie, in popular movies at least, uh, that there is out there, which is why it's considered to be... The elite. Yeah, the elite of all the awards. It's kind of them patting themselves in the back, and we can talk about that in a bit, but yeah, it's basically... Hollywood, everybody you see sitting there is probably an Academy member. Yep. And they have announced their uh, nominees for the 88th uh, Academy Awards. Uh, we'll get into that mm-hmm. later. Um, and also there's some controversy. But of course. Uh, some follow-up from uh, last show. We talked about Sean Penn 
Um, he interviewed a notorious drug lord. He's obviously an, an actor. We were just talking off air about Terrence Malick. He was in Thin Red Line. Sure. Um, but he... What? I forgot what I was... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he um, he did this interview, and he's getting quite a bit of uh, a flack uh, for it, but he was interviewed by 60 Minutes, which I don't know why in the hell he, he interviewed with them specifically, but... He was also in The Tree of Life. That's what I was going to say. Good. There you go. He's been in a lot of good movies, <laughs> yes. but... Anyways, yes. Yeah, he, he just kind of said that it was his journalistic right to do this, and the the guy who was interviewing him was kind of attacking him. I don't think he did any... I said this last time. I don't really think he did anything wrong, necessarily. Well, it's kind of... What I was hearing about this was now there's some officials who apparently have told Sean Penn to kind of lay low for a while, because whether or not he was actually involved in El Chapo's uh, arrest, I don't think that the cartel cares. I think there's enough connection there to possibly pl place somebody in danger. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of a ridiculous, kind of pulpy, crazy thing to say, but it's kind of interesting that somebody like Sean Penn could be on a hit list for, for something like this. Yeah, and just the timing of it. And, I mean, you're literally, he was literally interviewing one of the most dangerous people in the world, like, yeah. legitimately. And he didn't do the interview, but there's, like, a picture with him. And even in the interview, he was very in unspecific. Or he wasn't. He didn't go into was, specifics about. It was posed. Yeah. Because yeah, like you said, he didn't do the interview. It was some other. Yeah, I believe it was a. He was either a Mexican or some sort of Central American country native mm -hmm. uh, who did the interview, and apparently she's also been told to kind of lay low. Yeah. Which is <laughs> that'd be scary as hell. Yeah. But very interesting. You can I think watch the interview on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Just Google it. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's kind of a story that's getting blown out of the water. It is very strange. Sure. But it's, I think it's a little bit overblown. Um, now on to the thing we, we said on our, in our best of 2015, we talked this movie to death, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Everyone's waiting for Episode Eight. Episode right? 8, that's right. And you're going to have to wait for a little bit longer. I think they moved it back like four, three, four weeks. Month, or months. It was, was supposed it? to come out in May of 2017. No, it's they pushed December. it all the way. Yeah. Oof, okay. They moved it back to December 15th, 2017. Ugh. So and I and I was actually kind of expecting this. I'm actually not super surprised because I remember after I saw the movie, The Force Awakens and all the buzz and people were like, "Oh, only a year and a half until the next one." It just seemed too good to be true. Mm -hmm. So I'm not overly surprised about this. And honestly, good. Apparently they're they're fine-tuning the script, which go for it. Take your time making this movie. Don't rush it just to make money. So I think this is fine. I'm patient, but are other people? No. <laughs> And it's a long time to wait. I think by my count, it was like 698 days from today uh, that that movie's going to come out. Crazy. But I think I think fans will survive. Well, also that we have that other the spinoff movies coming. Yep. So we'll have another Star Wars movie later this year. So do you think they did that to to kind of let that get more attention? Dude, it's Disney. Or they bought it? Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. They're going to get every, every penny every they paid red. for it back. Because I was thinking they need to like have Star Wars Episode Seven kind of like marinate and make enough money in the DVD market and do all that because yeah. you can get distracted really easy. But mm -hmm. another uh, film that got pushed back was the new Spider-Man movie. Um, apparently there's a new Spider-Man. They're rebooting it again yep. to fit in with Marvel's Cinematic Universe. Okay. And apparently this is actually going to be an animated movie, which I, I had read I'm not 100% sure on that. That's what mm. I thought I read. I know they had cast uh, the guy to play Spider-Man again. The whole thing kind of reeks to me. Like, yeah. don't, re don't reboot this again, but that's what they're going to do. It's, yeah. 
Apparently people didn't like Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man enough. Yeah, but they uh, moved it all the way back to July 7th, 2017. So, long ways away. And in its place, they're going to do another reboot or relaunch of Jumanji, which... I haven't heard anything about this. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's that's what... And apparently this is like rumors that have kind of gotten a little more hot, but... I don't know that that's a film that could be remade. I mean, that's it had a one lot of those of... movies that I even think I'm afraid to rewatch just because I have great memories of it. I'm mm-hmm. afraid I'm going to watch it again and be like, this isn't very good. Yeah. But who knows? It's a little tainted. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's the big news. A lot of stuff getting moved back. Already early in the year. That's okay. Stuff's already getting pushed back. It's movies. It's the best. Yeah, we've got plenty of stuff to watch. Lots of stuff to watch. We've been watching a lot of stuff. Um, if you haven't already, we did do our best of 2015 episode. It's on SoundCloud. It's got the annoying gold logo. Um, you'll you'll see it on there. But um, yeah, that was a good time. But again, this is the David Bowie episode. Um, next up, we're gonna review the movie The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, after that, we'll in the next section after that for album of the week we have Black Star again by David Bowie, um, and we are drinking Big Slick Stout from Ale, Ale Asylum. There's too many. I feel like every name has been stolen for a brewery. Maybe. Gotta get creative. There's Ale Asylum, Ale Smith. What's another Ale one? Uh, yeah, I won't bore so you with me thinking. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Anyhow, Weekly Neurosis will be right back again when we come back. Um, we'll be reviewing The Man Who Fell to Earth. In the breaks, you will be hearing music from David Bowie's uh, final album, Black Star. Weekly Neurosis will be right back. This is all I ever meant That's the message that I sent I can't give everything I can't give everything Shot of whiskey. Ah. <laughs> Welcome back in Weekly Neurosis. <laughs> this is the Bowie episode, as you hopefully already know, mm-hmm. where we're doing all things David Bowie. Our movie of the week this week was The Man Who Fell to Earth, which was released in 1976. Yep. We watched a remastered version. We'll cover that later. Uh, but the plot is that Thomas Jerome Newton is an alien who has come to Earth in search of water to save his home planet. Aided by lawyer Oliver Farnsworth, Thomas uses his knowledge of advanced technology to create profitable inventions while developing a method to transport water. Thomas meets Mary Lou, a quiet hotel clerk, and begins to fall in love with her. Uh, The cast consists of David Bowie, Candy Clark, Rip Torn, possibly the most interesting name in acting, Buck Henry, uh, Bernie Casey, and Tony Mascia. The crew uh, is directed by Nicholas Rogue, uh, produced by Michael Dealey and Barry Spickings, uh, screenplay by Paul Myersberg, music by John Phillips and Stomu Yamashita, and cinematography by Anthony Richmond. Uh, the filming locales uh, was primarily filmed in New Mexico, consisting of Albuquerque, White Sands, Artesia, and Fenton Lake. Uh, the filming began on July 6, 1975. The notes and oddities on this one are actually pretty interesting. Uh, throughout the production, the crew ran into numerous difficulties. Uh, David Boy was sidelined several days for drinking bad milk. Uh, the ca- cameras were jamming up constantly, and during a desert scene, 
The crew had to contend with a group of Hell's Angels that were camping nearby. And that's pretty much all it said. That clearly there's a lot of bad stuff happening. But in addition, <laughs> Bowie was heavily abusing cocaine at the time of filming and had a fragile state of mind saying, I'm so pleased I made that film, but I didn't really know what was being made at all. He also stated that he used upwards of 10 grams of cocaine per day, which is a boatload of cocaine. <laughs> Ethan, what did you think of The Man Who Fell to Earth? All right, so this was a movie I kind of stumbled on, you know, five or six years ago. I bought the Criterion Collection Blu-ray kind of on a whim. It was mm -hmm. on sale. I didn't really know what it was, but I, like I said before, I was just getting into, into David Bowie. And uh, the first time I saw this movie, and I've seen this movie like 10 times over the last couple of years, but... Uh, I had no idea what to make of it, and I really still have kind of trouble deciphering it. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things I like about this movie, because it is a weird, bizarre movie. And it's, it's very weird. It's super hard to pin down. It jumps through time. It jumps forward in years without any warning. It has its fair share of issues, I think. It does. And I, I, this movie, to me, was kind of like when you get, like, a assemble yourself piece of furniture, and you take like everything out of the box and there's just all these pieces sitting all over the floor but eventually it's going to be like a shelf you know you just had to follow the direction and with this one it was so it took me i'll be honest like two days to kind of repiece everything in my mind and then there is kind of a plot there mm -hmm. but there's there are a lot of issues with it i do agree but it, i have to say that for a movie released in 1976 the criterion group did like a whale of a job on this one because it looked really really good um, but it, again, there was like so much that was implied and it skips around so much that if you, you I, I think you have to be in your case and watch it at least three, four times yeah. to at least get a rough understanding of what's going on. But yeah, and, but unfortunately I think a lot of people are just going to be turned off by, by the movie yeah. on first viewing cause it is so strange. And so a lot of people probably won't give this a second go, which I totally understand. It's not a movie for everybody. And that's not me saying, oh, if you don't appreciate this or see what's interesting about it, you're dumb. I just feel like this is an odd enough movie that it's just not going to be for everybody. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a... I, I, I thought this would be a good movie to pick for David Bowie because it it is just as strange and alluring as he was. That's what I... That's my one of my big observations. I feel like he was very perfect for this role in yeah. the sense that in a lot of ways, he kind of, to a lot of people, was an alien that kind of dropped from space. He was just so different. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought he, in, as far as his acting went, he did a really good job. Apparently he was hopped out on cocaine the entire time. But. Yeah, I agree. Just from the way he looks, which is always just so skinny and skeletal mm -hmm. looking, and just the way he kind of acts where you could be talking to him and he kind of just, you're not sure if he's paying attention or not. And you can tell his mind is elsewhere, but he can always respond. And his performance comes through really strong here, and it, it makes his character interesting. Uh, to watch even though I'm not necessarily sure exactly what his character is doing at all times for the most part We get the sense that he's a extremely smart alien at least on Earth's standards mm -hmm. uh, who is trying to Make enough money to get back to his home planet to save yeah. his family, but again none of that is really Explicitly said it's really him kind of drowning in human culture and seeing how it traps him and how television and especially alcohol kind of bind him and hold him back from doing what his mission was it's very interesting to me yeah and even just reading the plot because i went back and i like read uh, i forget where i found it. i think it was like through imdb the plot but like then it, that even made it make more sense because you're like oh there's this scene where he's in a car and then there's this where he's doing this and it kind of all makes sense mm -hmm. and again my understanding of it could be totally wrong though you know because that's how like hypothetical a lot of the elements were right but i did think it at some points it did 
drag just a little bit and then all of a sudden they'd hit you with this really artsy stuff and that kind of th- kind of threw me off a little bit because sure. it didn't really it didn't make sense you had no idea what was going on yeah there's kind of a lot of that what would appear to be a, as non sequiturs or little moments yeah. that don't seem to match what was just going on and while i do think it's jarring i do think having seen the movie a couple times a lot of these pieces make more sense than they do on first uh instinct while that isn't necessarily saying the best thing because i think if a movie is a masterpiece or a truly great movie, it's going to hit you all at once. And this movie really doesn't. I definitely agree that it's slow in parts, but then all of a sudden it will throw something at you that's totally crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, at first, science fiction, as it was, it's labeled, it was, pretty, it was a pretty simple film. It was mm-hmm. kind of a, the par, par standard for the time, but it, it, I mean, there wasn't a lot of flashiness to the film, aside from like some, some different elements that were kind of weird, but it... It just, I don't know. It, it just missed the boat for me on a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I can see that, but I, I really appreciate uh, th- this kind of movie where it's not necessarily giving you all the pieces and it asks a lot of the viewer. And uh, I think it's a pretty gorgeous-looking movie um, for the most part. And like you said, Criterion did a great job of uh, cleaning it up on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the outdoor scenes are incredible to look at. The sky's blue. There's a lot of desert uh, imagery uh, in this movie as well. I, I just really enjoy it, and I, I just love the kind of confusion I walk away from it, but also I think the movie is very cynical. It has a very kind of negative look at humanity and seeing how it impacts this guy who's got all the intentions in the world to save his family on this planet far away, but he just gets dragged through the mud. Mm-hmm. It's, kinda, it's, a, it's definitely a, a cynical movie to think about, but uh, that's just me. I guess I, I, I really enjoy this movie. Yeah. So. And I did too, and I, and I agree with you. It's just you see him kind of falling down farther and farther, and eventually he's kind of just here and not happy and kind of this shell of a human being. But he, he's not a human being, though. Well, shell, yeah. of, a, shell of an alien no, I gotcha. living amongst humans. But yep, yep. really, really odd. I'd, I'd need to watch it again. I would watch it again. Yeah, it's a hard movie to recommend just because also it's very explicit. There's a lot of like very odd sexual things going on in this mm-hmm. movie that could be kind of awkward to watch. Uh, especially if you're with certain people, I think, that you're not maybe as close with or comfortable around. Because uh, it can be kind of odd and even semi-perverted in parts where it's like, what are they doing here? Why are they yeah. Why are they naked pretending to shoot each other with a gun? It does, it's just very bizarre in parts. Yeah. Really, really strange. Well, if you had to grade this movie, though, what would you grade it? Well, per- again, personally, this is a movie I've revisited many times, and mm-hmm. it's one that draws me back. Yeah. I, I like a, a director like David Lynch, where I can't tell you necessarily what the point of the movie it is, uh, is, but it's the kind of movie where even though I couldn't tell you what I actually think they're trying to say, I don't know what they're trying to say necessarily, for some reason I want to keep watching it. So for me, I give this an 8.5 out of 10. Wow. I think it has some pacing issues and it's definitely pretty out there and maybe to a fault in a lot of parts, but I think it, I've made up, it's made up for me and how interesting it is. Okay. I mean, I had it at a, at a 6.5. Right. Uh, just because I felt that it just missed the boat on too much stuff. Okay. Too much is left up to the hypothetical. Now, again, if I, I felt if I watched it two or three times, I'd probably gain an understanding and then it would make sense. The elements are there. It just, to me, the jumps sometimes were too big. But the, And also the thing is, you really want, it's not just I need to rewatch this to understand it, you need to want to rewatch it. Yeah. 
and this is a long movie it's almost two and a half hours long so yeah. if it doesn't hit at first viewing and it's like well i feel like i need to watch it again to make sense of it but i didn't really like it you probably won't watch it again and that's fine yeah so i get it but I, it's a movie just for me it works and I think for, for David Bowie, it was an interesting starting point for his acting career. Yeah. For a first-time actor, though, and I, I don't know if his, what his background was prior mm -hmm. to this, but I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. So, that's The Man Who Fell to Earth. Again, I don't, you can't, now you can't get this movie on Criterion anymore. No, it is out of print. I do believe it was, Criterion lost the rights to print Blu-rays, um, but it is available on DVD and Blu-ray through other distributors now. Mm -hmm. It was on Netflix Instant for a while, but I don't think it is anymore. If you have uh, Hulu Plus, uh, the entire Criterion collection is available on there to stream, and this movie is included in that, so that's one place you could see it. But yeah, it might be a little bit difficult to track down, but luckily, like I said before, I have the Blu-ray, the Criterion release of it, because it's a really nice release. Yeah. You said that, I think you mentioned they're, they're for sale on eBay? Yes. There so a you lot, could, well though. then you're gonna spend yeah unfortunately with with this being out of print and with his passing it's going for upwards in the hundreds of dollars now which sounds obscene and it is quite frankly yeah but that's how it, these things go if you i guess if you were a david bowie fanatic fanatic memorabilia but you could collector. find this it's been re-released by other people so i think you could find it cheaper if you so wanted to buy this yeah, but if you're if if you've never seen this before, I wouldn't shell no, too much money yeah. for it because there's a good chance you won't like this. Yeah. Well, awesome. So on to the uh, the high priority news items for movies. We we said before the uh, nominees for the 88th Academy Awards uh, were officially announced to the public uh, last week. Today's the 20, 20th, so it was last week on Thursday. Um, and I was curious too, you could go on before, so people submit there, you have to like apply to the Academy Awards, don't you? You have to get invited. Yeah. And yeah. then they nominate the people that are, well I was talking about like for a movie. Oh. Well your movie just has to be eligible. Okay. Which means it gets, it had a theatrical release in the year uh, that they're voting for. Okay. So like a movie, while it didn't get any nominations, a movie like Beasts of No Nation was eligible. Uh, because while it was a Netflix movie, it did get a very limited theatrical run, which put it in the runnings for awards. Hmm. But even a movie like The Revenant, where we can say, well, wait a minute, it didn't get released until January of 2016. Actually, it got a very limited release in 2015, which made it eligible for Oscars this year. So okay. that's how that works. Okay. Um, but anyhow, should we? Do, I'll just switch off. I'll start. Sure. Uh, we'll go over the nominees. These are just the main categories. There are a bunch of categories. You can go on to, I think, Oscars. Have, they have a website that you can go yeah. to. Or just Google Oscar nominations. You'll find 100 places to look through these and look through people's opinions on these. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Very easy to find that. But the nominees for Best Picture were The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Yep, uh, eight movies this year. There was some speculation that they would go back down to five, but I'm still wondering what the rules are on this because I thought they were up to ten a couple of years ago, so the fact that they've done eight two years in a row kind of makes me wonder what they're what they're doing. But uh, outside of that, like I'm thrilled with these nominations. I think yeah. I, I've seen all of them this year, um, and there's three movies on here that I personally would be thrilled to see win. I would love to see Spotlight win. I would love to see... The Revenant win. I would love to see Mad Max win. But 
if Room, The Martian, Brooklyn, even The Big Short one, I would be okay with that too. The only movie here I'm not, I wouldn't hope to win was Bridge of Spies. While I like the movie, I don't think it's best picture material. Yeah, I thought it was more, it was, it was fairly average in a lot of aspects. But I was kind of, I'll be honest, I was very surprised to see that on this list. I get why it's there. The one that I was most surprised to see on here was Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I thought Carol was going to get nominated, but Brooklyn yep. kind of snuck in, which I was kind of happy to see because Brooklyn was a great movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, uh, d- definitely an interesting group of movies. I would recommend all of them. There's a good variety of stuff, action, adventure, romance. Um, but how about let's do next then for, uh, let's do best director because that's always kind of the secondary okay. one. So the uh, nominees here are Lenny Abramson for Room. Alejandro Iñárritu for The Revenant, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, Adam McKay for The Big Short, and George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. So again, all those movies are in for Best Picture as well. Every now and then a movie will sneak in that didn't get a Best Picture nomination, Mm -hmm. but uh, that didn't happen this year. I think um, either Tom McCarthy or Iñárritu will probably win this. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, And if Iñárritu wins this, he will be the first director in history to have won two Best directors in a row. It's never been done before. Yeah. The person on this list that really surprises me is Adam McKay. When you consider his career and what he's up to this point, and that's a pretty big jump. Well, but I got the same feeling when I saw the movie, though, Mm -hmm. because I couldn't believe that this was the same guy who did Anchorman. Not to put that movie down or anything, but, like, this is so much different from something like Step Brothers or Anchorman that it's it's crazy. So I'm actually kind of happy to see him there. I think it's kind of he's repping a... An area of directors that we haven't really seen repped all that much mm-hmm. at the Oscars. So I think that's cool. Yeah. So I'll do um, actor in a leading role. Sure. Um, the nominees there are Brian Cranston for Trumbo, uh, Matt Damon for The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, and Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. Yeah, nothing surprising here. I don't think. I think Leo's got this in the bag at this yep. point. I don't think he can lose. It would be a big shock if he didn't. Um, but I'm, And I'm happy with that because I thought he was absolutely incredible in that movie. Yeah, I still haven't seen Trumbo. Okay. So that's the only one on this list I have not seen. He was very good as well, Brian yeah. Cranston. I'm just happy to see him nominated because I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. I'm a, yeah, same, <laughs> same boat, man. All right, so the ne- next major category is Best Actress in a Leading Role. Then we have Kate Blanchett for Carol, Brie Larson for Room, Jennifer Lawrence for Joy, Charlotte Rampling for 45 Years, and Sarah C. Ronan for Brooklyn. Um, I think the odd one out here is Jennifer Lawrence for Joy. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like she's becoming the new Meryl Streep, and I think she was good in the movie and everything, but this movie got no nominations anywhere else. Yep, I guess neither her. did 45 Years, but, it, but I just feel like Jennifer Lawrence gets a nomination whenever she's in something... Dramatic and again, I thought she was good in Joy, but I I think there's a lot of other performances that could have made it here over her. Yeah, I mean you obviously look to Kate Blanchett with Carol. Incredible in that. Yeah, movie. absolutely. Do you think Brie Larson will win? I think she's kind of the favorite. I haven't seen Room yet. That's the thing. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Room for forty five years. I had honestly had not heard of that until the trailer. Remi- I haven't seen that either. But uh, the trailer reminded me of uh, a movie that came out a couple years ago called Amour, mm-hmm. which yep. was I believe. A French or German movie about a very elderly uh, couple who the, the wife goes through a stroke and you see how the husband has to deal with it and uh, it's very really? so in, and this yeah. movie kind of looked similar with an older couple kind of it's on their 45th and a wedding anniversary and seeing where they are in life looked like a very dramatic movie Amour was hard 
very like, tough to movie. get through. It yeah. was very. Yeah. Good, I think I watched that movie like twice. Really? Yeah, because I watched it on my own, and then my parents wanted to see it, so I watched it with them again, and I was just like, all right. Yeah. I guess I can sit through the... <laughs> I mean, not that it wasn't a bad movie by any means, yeah. but it's tough to watch. No, it's, yeah. So, yeah. Best actress in a leading role. Good good category this yeah. year. So you... Are you... Are yeah, you're up. Oh, yeah. I'm up now? Jeez. Yeah. I'll do Best Supporting Actress. Okay. Um, it's Jennifer Jason Lee for The Hateful Eight, uh, Rooney Mara for Carol, Rachel McAdams for Spotlight, Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl, and Kate... <laughs> I fucked up, like, all <laughs> these names. Uh, Kate Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. I had Rooney Mara in the script as Ronnie Mara, and I had Kate Winslet as Kate Winsley. I think that's autocorrect, but... Uh, but no, um, again, good, good badge. Mm -hmm. Honestly, my eye instantly goes to Jennifer Jason Lee. I get that she, in that film... When you do see it, it's kind of... She's kind of a standout, I guess. She, yeah. She doesn't act for the whole film. I, I personally was more, much more thrilled about Rachel McAdams and Rooney Mara. Yeah. I was jacked when I saw Rachel McAdams. And, and Rooney Mara, I think there's been a lot of discussion on whether she could get a lead actress for Carol. Because mm -hmm. I think she's got just as much screen time as Kate Blanchett. It's pretty 50-50. And she, I mean, she's incredible in, in that movie, and so was Rachel McAdams. I actually watched Spotlight again the other day, and uh, I was... I was really paying closer attention to her performance this time, and mm -hmm. she definitely earns her spot. But this is kind of an up in the air category, I yeah. think. Um, I think maybe maybe Rooney Mara has the edge here, but this could go anyway. I mean, I could easily see Rachel McAdams winning. Yeah, maybe they might if Spotlight. If they a movie hasn't swept in a long time, and when a movie sweeps at the Oscars, that means it wins everything it's in for. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that happen since two thousand three. I believe 2003 when uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King won everything it was nominated for. Yeah. We haven't seen that in a very long time. Well, Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. She kind of goes unnoticed. She actually, she might she, be my personal favorite here. She did a good job in that film. She was great yeah. in there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then the last uh, category we're going to talk about here is Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we have Christian Bale for The Short, Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight. Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. This was kind of the one of the more controversial categories, I mm -hmm. think. There was a lot of people who could have gotten in and maybe were left out, but I like this group of people a lot. I'm especially thrilled to see Tom Hardy get in. I am. Because there was too. no expectation that he was going to get nominated, and he was so incredibly good in The Revenant that uh, I'm really happy they're... they're uh, Giving him some recognition here. Yeah, and I was jacked to see Mark Ruffalo. I believe I texted you like yep. Mark fucking Ruffalo, like just <laughs> oh. yep, because he did a phenomenal job. But it's it's very much up in the air. I, I think it's actually kind of honed in on Tom Hardy and Mark Ruffalo. No way, dude! I think Stallone's got this in the bag. Sly, absolutely. I didn't see Creed. So I don't. He I can't... won all the other. I think it's just they like they like the this they like the the older actor kind of regaining his for, former glory. And what better than giving Rocky an Oscar. I think yeah. he, I think he's going to win. You do? Yeah. But I would be... Uh, this is a performance... Like, literally all of these, even Mark Rylance from Bridge of Spies, he was the best part of that movie. Mm -hmm. I would be happy with any of these dudes winning, I think. I would be especially thrilled with Tom Hardy or Mark, Mark Ruffalo, though, because those were my, my favorites. And Christian Bale was just a, a weirdo in the big short. Yeah. He was that was really... kind of his... <laughs> his weirdo with a glass eye. Yep. But um, as far as the, the most nominations for a film, um, obviously The Revenant first with 12. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road right up there with 10. 
uh, The Martian 7, uh, with 6, Bridge of Spies, Carol, and Spotlight. Uh, five nominations, The Big Short, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, with 5, um, The Danish Girl and Room, with 4, uh, Brooklyn, The Hateful Eight, and Sicario, with 3, and Ex Machina, Inside Out, and Steve Jobs, with 2 each. Yep. So a lot of dupes. Yeah, so Revenant got 12, uh, which is the most, and Mad Max got 10, which is absolutely thrilling, because those are my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, I know that it doesn't matter when the film came out, but like that film came out so early in the year to see it kind of carry over, and even still, now people are talking about it. So. Well, that was one of the big discussions on when, yeah, like it, I think that came out early mm -hmm. summer. Like, I, yeah, I mean that might have been like April or May. I would have to look. It was a while ago, but often, yeah, when a movie has that early of a release, it's forgotten by Oscars. And I think the fact that it's stuck around for so long shows how strong of a film it is. I know there's some people who have been saying like, "Really, Mad Max Fury Road? That's just a silly." action car chase movie and i'm i'm sitting over here like well first of all i i kind of disagree with that but second of all why does a movie need to be more than that you know what mm -hmm. i mean Ugh, i could go off about this because i really loved mad max fury road yeah and i don't feel like a, if if a movie wants to be an action-packed car chase movie if it does it as well as this movie did and does as many unique things as this did why why wouldn't it be the best movie of the year? Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i stand on it i'm really, yeah. i'm happy to see it but not everybody is yeah, everyone's gonna have issues with with every. I'm sure there's people out there that have an issue with the Revenant and mm -hmm. issue with with the Martian and pretty much every everyone on here. Well, yeah. Speaking of the Revenant too, I mean that movie on Rotten Tomatoes only has like an eighty percent or something. Yeah. So I and just, that's now is that critic? That's critic scores, right? Right, and then there's an audience score. I don't know what the audience score is. Generally, they're pretty close though. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't get why people would knock that movie necessarily. I just think it's too much for some people. Yeah, it's too depressing. It's too violent. It's too long. I don't know. Too uh, to me, you can't. I don't think it. The argument of too violent to me is ludicrous in this modern age of cinema where anything goes pretty much. Yeah, but not everybody likes to see it, see somebody get their throat ripped out by a bear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not everybody likes to see somebody gut a horse and sleep inside of it. That's true. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> but um, on to other news. Oddly enough, Academy Award related. Um, the nominees that we went over mm -hmm. um, were, I think it's, you can probably explain this better than I can, but the acting awards for individuals have no African Americans. Or my, no, any minority. It's just all... Anybody of, anybody of any color other than white. Right, so this is two years in a row then where there's been the controversy, hashtag Oscars so white, because all 20 actors who have been nominated are white. Mm -hmm. And so two years in a row, it's created a lot of controversy. And uh, I mean, it's interesting to talk about because certainly that is kind of eyebrow raising. But at the same time, I'm not here to imply that this group of voters is doing this on purpose. I think this just so happens to be who they thought was the best of the year and you might not agree and might have thought that other movies deserved it and certainly that discussion could be had about movies like Straight Outta Compton or um, Abusive No Nation getting shut out in the acting categories but I personally think it's kind of silly to say that they're doing this because they do not want any people of color nominated on purpose. Yeah. I think that's kind of sideswiping an issue if there is one which would be a bigger one it would be a system-wide issue of uh, representation not being uh, sufficient 
in the industry as a whole. But I think looking at the Oscars past, who the voters are, I don't think there's an issue here. No, I don't either. And, and if you just look at the main you know, snubs they're making a big deal about, Beast of No Nation with Idris Elba, Creed with uh, Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. they were up against... You know, when you think about it in the comparison, someone the, the list has to get cut off at somewhere. Right. And there was tremendous, in both of these categories, tremendous competition. Right. Well, like we'd mentioned, the Best Supporting Actor before, people are uh, upset because um, Idris Elba didn't get nominated for Beast of No Nation and um, uh, Benicio Del Toro didn't get nominated yeah. for Sicario. And while I agree, I think both of those performances are award-worthy, I look at the list of five guys who did get nominated and ask myself, who would I take out? And I have a hard time with it because yeah. all these performances are good, and I think it comes down to preference. And there's actually been in the last couple of days Oscar voters who I think some of them remained anonymous, and some have said who they are and what they've won for in the past have come out and straight up said, "This was not intentional. We just didn't like this movie as much as other people did, mm-hmm. and that's just how it goes." Yeah. So, and, and and I do think it's something we should pay attention to, and if it's a trend that continues year after year after year, maybe. Yeah, this is something that needs to be looked at. But I just personally don't think that because two years in a row this has happened that we need to accuse anybody of being racist. Because I don't see it. I just don't see it. Yeah. And, you know, I have to think that a lot of people that are making these allegations, not to allude anything, but I I would ask them the question, have you seen these films that were nominated? Yeah. And if your answer is no to any one of them, then I think your point is mute. Because... Well, and even if you have, though. Yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, this is a finite group of individuals who are making these decisions. We shouldn't sit back and pretend that the Academy Awards are somehow transcendent of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. This is one group of people's opinions, and it just so happens to differ from a lot of other people's, and that's normal. I think people are taking this too seriously. They're taking this stuff as it's getting chiseled into stone, and that shouldn't happen. They're the Oscars. Mm-hmm. They don't always get it right. They don't get it right most of the time. I don't think there is a quote-unquote right to be gotten here. This is just how it is. This is one group of people's opinions. And to say that they're intentionally leaving people of color out, I think it's a hurtful thing. It's a, it's kind of sideswiping any real issue there there is here. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's a very, very, very aggressive accusation. And I... I Personally, I just having seen a lot of these movies, I just think it was a matter of the the cut line had to come in somewhere, and it came in where it came. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. it's an issue of who is in the. I mean, there are you know snubs for other white films with white people in them that people are like, well, why didn't that get nominated, and why didn't this get nominated, and right. So I don't think it's it's really that big of a deal. Yeah, thousands of movies come out every year, and they don't all. They're not all going to get awards. They're mm-hmm. not all going to get nominated for awards. And that's just how it is. And not that these movies didn't deserve it, or maybe there is something to it, but I just don't think it's as simple as that. I think some people are jumping the gun a little bit by uh, pulling the race card on, on this particular issue. It's, it's just the Oscars. Yeah. Just chill out, people. Yeah. Kids taken too seriously. But um, on to the, the real numbers, our, our weekly segment by the numbers, where we cover the top five grossing films in America and go over the occasional flops that do occur in this modern cinema business. Yes, sir. You want to start or should I start? I can start. I think Show wait. Rat. Yeah, I'll start. Okay, so at number five, we have Daddy's Home with a weekend uh, gross of $11.9 million. Now with a total of $131 million, almost $132 million on $50 million budget. This movie might be on its way out, but it made a whole boatload of money. Yep. So... 
Good, good release. Um, yes. Number four is a movie that's actually getting pretty good reviews, surprisingly. It didn't look like it from the from the trailer. Is but um, Bay movie? 13, <laughs> 13 hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi from Paramount. It grossed uh, nine, just over $19 million. It was its opening weekend on a $50 million budget. It's a smaller budget than I thought it had. For a Michael Bay movie, it is. Yeah, well, and he's kind of been doing this now. Yeah. He's alternating with these smaller-ish budgeted movies. And, uh, yeah, like you, I, I've heard some decent things about this. I might actually go check this movie out. Yeah. Um, just because I'm curious, and there's not a whole lot out right now. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, so now at number three... Dun-dun-dun-dun. Been, been dethroned from number one is Star Wars The Force Awakens with a weekend box office gross of $33 million to a total of 858 million dollars and a 200 million dollar budget so yeah yeah i mean it's been number one for four weeks in a row five mm -hmm. weeks in a row and now it's down to number three uh yeah we're gonna start seeing this drop off but i don't think it's gonna get to that number one or even number two spot worldwide it doesn't look like because it's not doing real well in china um apparently there's lots of bad word of mouth in china but they're not really liking the movie there hmm. but uh i mean Tell, tell, tell somebody that this was a flop. They're crazy. This movie did, I mean, it, it was, it's been another phenomenon. So, yeah. Number three, Star Wars. And number two was the film we reviewed last episode, The Revenant, um, which had a weekend gross of $37,500 um, for a total gross of $95 million, just about $96 million on a $135 million budget. It's doing really well. It is. It only had a, a just above a, a six percent drop. Yeah, they're just below a six percent. And we we were very when this this movie is first getting promoted, we were very worried about if it was going to make the budget. I think it will. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I think it'll easily. It's probably already made its budget worldwide, mm -hmm. but even domestically, in another week or two, I'm sure it'll it'll cross that budget, uh, which is great. I'm glad that a movie that's as extreme as The Revenant is. It's uh, people are going to check it out. Yeah, that's cool. So now number one. Uh, of the week, the new release Ride Along 2, uh, with a weekend gross of $41 million, uh, which is also its total gross as of now, on a budget of $40 million, so it already made its money it's back cool. and then change. So that's number one now, with yeah. the, the new Kevin Hart Ice Cube vehicle. He, I feel like Kevin Hart makes money in everything that he's in. He's very popular. He's very, yeah. I didn't see the first one, so I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about this movie. And then also, too... Um, Get Hard, that did pretty well in the box offices. Okay. So it's pretty, there's a correlation there. What do you know? Yeah, he's popular. But yeah, that's it. No big flops on the uh, on the horizon from the look of it. Nope. I actually was looking up the biggest flops, financial flops in movie history, and one of the top ones, I still have no idea how it was made a movie, was Mars Needs Moms. Yeah, it's an animated movie. Yeah. It yeah. just lost... Tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. When we come back, what we're going to do is we are going to review David Bowie's new and final album, Black Star. Yes. Um, again, the music you're hearing here in the breaks is going to be from that album. Um, again, just a reminder, too, if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All those are at Weekly Neurosis. Please Just, do. Please do. It helps. You can see what we're going to be reviewing next. So if we're doing a movie, you can see it before we talk about it or listen to the album so you can either agree with us or hate us for disagreeing with you. Yep. 
You can also way. see pictures of us recording. We're snapping pics. Yeah, I'm gonna take a picture right now. Right you're, now. And you're gonna hear it. Ready? It's gonna do it. Yep. yep. <laughs> you can you can see that picture and more. Yep. If you just follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Yep. <laughs> we'll be on LinkedIn soon. No, we won't. No, we We're won't. Not I don't know why that we would be on LinkedIn. All right, weekly neurosis. We'll be right back again. David Bowie's Black Star. Weekly Neurosis, the Bowie episode. Mm-hmm. So obviously we're going to be reviewing David Bowie's uh, album Black Star. Ethan. Yes. Okay. So yes, of course, this is David Bowie's final album, Black Star. It was released on January sixth, and it marks the twenty-fifth and sadly the final studio album for Mr. David Bowie. The album was recorded in secret at two locations, The Magic Shop in New York City and Human Worldwide Studios in New York City. Almost all musicians credited on the album were unaware of Bowie, Bowie's declining health. And I do believe I read that they didn't really know him very long before they were picked for this. Mm-hmm. He was kind of look, going through all these different jazz clubs in New York City and he saw these musicians and kept going to see them and decided, hey, I want these guys to play on the album so wow. they picked him and definitely the album has a jazz jazzy feel to it uh certainly sad also it's his final album but what did you think about this this album well i thought it was very good and it's one thing that um you know I, that we talked about off air is that you do need to take away from his passing and judge the album as it is and i think we both did that what i think this album's strength is is that it weaves in the jazz elements which is really cool but with each of these songs there's so much going on in every single song. There's like seven or eight different layers of of, mu- of different instruments and different things going on that mesh together um, to kind of to make this cohesive sound, which is amazing. That's very, yeah. very, very hard to do. Um, one thing, just an up top observation, is this album was really short. Yeah, it's like I listened 40 to something it, minutes. It just blew, blows through because it all kind of bleeds together. Yeah. Um, but really, really good. I liked how he kind of meshed stuff up. Um, and you, you do get the, the notes on this. That And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. But he makes a lot of references to death and oh, dying. Yes. And I'm leaving this earth. And I can't leave everything behind. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, knowing he, he like you said, it's hard to separate the fact that he died from, you know, objectively looking at this album. But... I don't think we're necessarily meant to because you can tell he knew he was dying and mm-hmm. he knew this was going to be either his last album or very close to the last thing he ever did. Um, so the lyrics are very reflective, very dark and, and sometimes creepy and abstract. But I agree with you. This album really succeeds in blending a huge variety of genres together in a very cohesive way from song to song. There's only seven songs in the whole album. Um, but yeah, there's jazz, pop, ambient, different experimental vocal um, stylings on the album but it's just a huge uh, variety of different things going on uh, and it to me it worked perfectly i loved every song on here um 
but certainly something could be said about David Bowie's vocal talents as he got older and how he definitely doesn't have the, 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 the necessarily the range or the high-pitched voice he used to have, but he plays his voice nimbly here. You can tell he's sort of fragile and earnest on this album, so while he isn't the strongest singer anymore, or wasn't the strongest singer when he was recording this, he still sounds great on this album, I think. Yeah, so I mean, the music does kind of bleed over him to some point, but that, that again, that's another thing that works. It's just another layer in this kind of cake that he that he made, but it's it mixes so much stuff, which just blows me away. I think in one, I don't remember which song it was, but it, throughout that song, I think there's synths, there's saxophone, clar clarinet or oboe, I couldn't tell which, like piano riffs, guitar, vocals, backup vocals, bass, guitar, like you were talking about like nine different things going in one song, mm -hmm. which bands have a hard enough time doing four things, which is guitar, bass, drums, and vocals. That I, he, he was such a gifted artist, and it came through in this. And I've heard people say, I, I'm no person to make this statement, that this was his best work in 30 years. It's debatably which, so. You know, which will be a debate that goes on. But but I think what's what's going off of that, what's so cool about this album is that it's, it's lyrically, yeah, there's those tones of, uh, reflection and death and all those things going on but it's still hard to pin down and musically it's so crazy I think like the movie we just talked about and like him in general he left us here with a kind of a crazy and abstract thing that we don't fully understand yet and it's gonna take years and years of reflection before we fully understand it and I think it's like the per it's sort of the perfect send-off for him because this is an album even uh, uh, removed from the fact that he died, it would be an album that people were perplexed by regardless. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really kind of special that this is what he, he left us with, this this really interesting album, an emotional album too. Yeah. Yeah, some of the lyrics on here, I know some of it's kind of creepy too. I know the song Black Star, Yeah. Uh, which was probably my favorite song in here. It's a super emotional song, but he's straight up saying something happened on the day he died and talking about ascending as this black star and all, all this stuff like that, or on... Uh, the one that I thought was the craziest in terms of lyrical content was on the song Girl Love Me. There's a line on there where he says, where the fuck did Monday go? And he died on a Sunday. And that's really creepy to me to think yeah. about. It's really strange. And it kind of, when I, because I had actually heard this album a day or two before he died. And I'm like, wow, I, I, I'm going to need months to digest this thing. And listening to it again right away, I was like blown away by some of the the, the, the hindsight on here, whether it's coincidence or otherwise is never going to be known for sure. But this is just a crazy album. Yeah, and very self-reflective. I think one he has. There's another line too that struck me. I think it's I have scars I can't talk about, and then there's another line. And then he says, "Now people will know me," which his fame has, like it usually does, elevates for a period of time after you die. Mm -hmm. But yeah, very. That's really creepy. I did not catch that. Yeah, isn't that strange? So I didn't pick that up myself, but somebody else pointed that out to me, and I was like, holy crap. But I think the song Black Star, the first song in the album, is also a 10-minute long song, uh, nearly 10 minutes at least. It's the most kind of expansive of all the songs in here, and it has multiple parts and different movements. And uh, it's just kind of a gut punch. The whole album is kind of a gut punch, knowing that he died. But yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Good album, though. What would you rate it? Um, I'm going to go back to the exact same score I gave the movie, an 8.5 out of 10. And the reason I'm going to give it that is because while I was just going crazy praising this thing, I do think there are parts where it maybe sounds a little bit samey and there's not a lot of dynamic 
stuff going on here and uh while i like all seven songs individually some of them are maybe a little bit too long which sounds weird even saying that again mm -hmm. as, as we both just determined the album is is uh, pretty short i just don't feel like the entire album was punchy the whole way through and i also kind of want to scale back and, and kind of look at myself and be like okay in like three years when i listen to this is it going to be as emotional and i think maybe i think we're going to hear more about the circumstances surrounding his death and that's going to kind of uh impact how we reflect on david bowie but uh the album is great it's certainly not like some revolutionary work or anything mm -hmm. but it's definitely a really great album so an 8.5 out of 10 yeah for me and I did pretty close. I had an 8.2. For same okay. reasons, I felt that a few of the songs were just too long. I definitely agree with you, which is a very, very odd thing to say. Mm -hmm. But it, it is. It just It's kind of like, okay, you know, can you just cut this and, and go on? And it didn't, it parts, it didn't flow quite too well for me. But again, it was, a, it was a good album. I agree with you, though. I mean, people are making this out to be a masterpiece. And I think that's because of the fact that he died and they're amplifying it. Um, but... Yeah, still a good, good album, good way for him to, unfortunately, go out. Yes, certainly. So, that is that. So, um, high-priority news items for, for the music world. Um, we, we obviously dedicated this episode to David Bowie, but uh, another tragedy befell the music world. Glenn Frey of the, uh, the Eagles passed away at the age of 67. Yep, and I do believe he. this wasn't a, from cancer like everybody else been, has been dying from. Mm -hmm. It was like pneumonia. It was kind of an amalgamation of different illnesses. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm not the world's biggest Eagles fan, but you got to give it to a band that has the number one selling album ever. And this guy's songs have impacted millions and millions of people. It's very yeah, sad. Like he's I think 67. Of, like, who hasn't heard Hotel California? Yeah, for sure. So, but he sounded like he was, you know, not to offend the Eagles fans out there, but he was in really rough shape. Like from the sound of it, yeah, he had had rheumatoid, ar uh, what is it, rheumatoid ar arthritis and all that. He was in, he was not doing super hot apparently. Yeah. But R.I.P. Good music. Yep. So, um, twenty sixteen though is just twenty days old at this point, um, and obviously right now the release schedule for some of the upcoming albums are are coming out. Um, some big names that are going to be coming out of the albums this year: U uh, two, Kanye West. Metallica, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Drake, Rihanna, Lady Gaga, Frank Ocean, who I could really care less about, Tool, and Radiohead. They're all slated for albums to drop in 2016. Anyone on that list you're excited about? Yeah, actually. I mean, if Metallica actually releases yeah, a new yeah. album, that would be cool, but I don't think they're actually going to. Yeah. I, would lo I mean, I love their last album, Death Magnetic, and I mean, Metallica is one of those bands who I think the whole world watches when they do something new. So that would be great. Yeah. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, eh, I don't know. I, I, I like them, but they don't excite me all that much. Um, I, you know, actually, Kanye West, I have kind of a love-hate thing with that guy because he's just an asshole. Mm -hmm. But some of his music is so good. Yeah. Like, it's so hard to deny, but some of his music is awful, too. Yeah. Like his album, Yeezus, I hated that thing. But for some reason, I've listened to it like a hundred times. I don't know what to say, but you know his the songs they've released from his upcoming album are pretty awesome. It sounds like he's getting more lyrical. He's going back to actual hip hop versus weird bleep bloop noises and talking about croissants and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping his album is good. And Tool, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Bullshit. They've been talking about releasing a new album for like six years now. Yeah. No way. And Radiohead, I'm kind of in the same boat, but 
from what I've been reading, it actually sounds like they might release something, and I'm there because I love Radiohead. I Me love too. Radiohead. And the thing is, is with any of these bands, if you look it up and it says release date TBA, that means that they're in that classic stage of in the studio, and I'm making air quotes. And that can mean a whole bunch of different things. A really good example that a lot of people can relate to is Adele's new album, 25. She was in the studio in like January of 2013. Right. Recording that album. Didn't get released till this year late. So you see the timetable there. Um, but I had heard with Adele, kind of to go off track here a little bit, I thought she had recorded an entire album she had. and scrapped it. Yep, she did. Because she didn't like it. And that can happen too. That's, That's crazy. That's in the studio. You at the studio. What's it? That's the Dave Chappelle. I'm shutting down the studio. But um, one I'm jacked about, I put right on there, is Run the Jewels 3, is what they're calling it. They're they're doing it. They're in the studio. Good. They're on the Tweeting and on Instagram all the time. As far as I'm concerned, they're the best thing going on yeah, in hip-hop right now. In the genre. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's it. There's really no other... Major album, because a lot of bands will record and pump something out three months later. I mean, I could probably list like 20 things, but I would have to be looking at it. Because I listen to so much music that it's like impossible for me to keep track of who's releasing what. Mm -hmm. I kind of take things on a weekly basis with music. Every day I look to see what new reviews are on Pitchfork. If any of it interests me, I keep my eyes on Apple Music and elsewhere. Uh, and I listen to anything new, but I mean, yeah, with like you said, with the whole TBA thing. Excuse me. It's hard to kind of say when are, when are, when is this music coming out. <laughs> yeah, no, no one really knows. So yeah. But um, the last thing, and then we'll go to to obsessions here really quick. Is I mentioned it last show. The other black star that you and I know is Most Def and Talib Kweli. What is Most Def's name now? Like Yasin Bey. Yeah, or something, or like something that? along those lines. But he is literally in jail right now, not in America, in South Africa. Because he protests in an act of protest, apparently handed in what's called a world visa, where because it's for people that don't believe in borders. So he handed this thing in to like the South African police, who said, "Not happening, brah," and they <laughs> threw him in jail. But he was just released, and this is hilarious on uh, three hundred dollars bail. There's I'm a reason, you, though. But like, come on, man! Yeah. Just because you think that doesn't mean these people don't take it seriously yeah. that's kind of yeah it is it's a stupid decision on his part but yeah you know, he is he's literally in prison in south well no he's not because he's on bail now so he's in a house in south africa somewhere so wait so he's actually in south africa in like jail he's been there for a while he he the thing is is that his visa expired that's why he was leaving so he had been there for a while and now he's huh. he's in jail yeah well, I hope he gets out. I tweeted hashtag free most stuff. Nice. Not gonna lie. Well, good look at you. Look at me. Stand it up against the world. Man. Yep. World world politician. <laughs> Nate from Weekly Neurosis. But um, on to obsessions. Ethan, what are you obsessed about? All right. Well, I, I, I've been trying to kind of free, you know, mind this recently versus writing it down in advance. And I think the thing that's been on my mind most lately is the show Sons of Anarchy. I've been... I started watching Sons of Anarchy earlier this year, I would say probably February or March, and I'm about done with season six, and I had stopped watching it for a while because I was catching up with movies, but I've been marathoning it like crazy, and I'm like totally into it. I kind of know how it ends already because it's been spoiled for me, but that really hasn't taken away from how much I've been enjoying it, and 
thinking about the characters and how much the show has changed. And my, my dad was a, is a huge fan of it, so I've been talking to him a lot about it. And I know a lot of people I, I work with and friends and stuff who have seen it as well. So it's kind of fun finally almost finishing this show that's been very popular. It's been great. I, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah. Sons of Anarchy. That's a way. Yeah, hashtag Sam Crow. If you've seen it, you know what's going on. Yeah. And for me, I think, you know... I've been obsessed with two v two TV shows, The Sopranos. I'm rewatching it. I'm in season just started season three. Nice. And then uh, Mr. Robot too. Behind the times on that because I, I get that was like a new release, but it was on USA Network, and I don't usually watch shows on USA Network, unfortunately. Mr. Robot was. I think it is. Yeah, it's oh, USA okay. Network. Because I want to see that. I want to see The Sopranos too. Yeah. But yeah, Mr. Robot. I've heard that's like about computer hackers, right? Yeah. Cool. Really, and the acting, uh, the guy won it for, won a Golden Globe for that. And I, I, he's really good. Oh, Christian Slater, won the Golden Globe for that. No, the guy who was the no, maybe Chris, no Christian, the writer didn't the writer. Christian win Slater it? won for a gold for Mr. Robot. Did he? Yeah. Is that what it was? The main, he's the main, good. The main actor dude didn't win, but he was in. Yeah, he's good too. Everyone, that's the thing is Christian Slater and the main character are really good. Writing's really good. Cool. Yeah. I'll yeah. Sopranos just going to Amazon Prime. I know. Dude, I'm finishing Sons of Anarchy, but I think I'm going to rewatch Mad Men. Or not rewatch it, but finally finish Mad Men. I have to finish Mad Men. But I need to re. Because I've seen all of it up until the last season, so I'm actually rewatching that too. But I figured I'm sick of juggling like 18 shows at once, so I'm just going to watch one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I was sick of movies. Like, I'm right now, I'm still Dude. in a sick sick of movies because I watched so many movies for the, I know. the I w- Best I w- of 2015 episode, which is available on SoundCloud. Yeah. I've been watching, I was for like two or three weeks, I was watching like a minimum of two movies a day. And there was two days where I watched legitimately like six movies in a day. And I, I'm, I'm sort of burnt out from movies too, which yeah. is why I've been reading a lot more and watching more Sons of Anarchy and, you know, going outside in the sunlight. That, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. Real Getting that stuff. vitamin D. Yeah, they make supplements for that. They do. Which is kind of sad that you need a supplement well, for... Sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need it. When yeah. you're making podcasts about the best in releases this, of 2015. In this windowless basement. Yeah. Well, There's an electrode there. That thing has some kind of... It can't be good for us. No, not at all. No. But um, this has been the, the David Bowie episode. Yep. Been another fun one. Again... Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everything is at Weekly Neurosis. And for one last time, I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. We are Weekly Neurosis. We'll be back next week. Until then, everyone take care.